Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. possible that once you are inside the Christian faith, even just a little bit, or once you have some acquaintance with the biblical story of Jesus, even just a little bit, or once you've decided to try and cultivate a life in Christ, is it possible that God may actually plant in you a kind of wisdom and power a kind of wisdom and power that those outside the Christian faith or life don't know anything about? And if they did know something about it, it would sound to them mostly like nonsense? 
Is it possible that there are ways of thinking and living that are only understandable for those inside the faith and might be viewed as totally bizarre to those outside the Christian faith? Well, yes, I believe that this is the case. And I say this because of something the Apostle Paul writes about in his 1 Corinthians letter. He suggests that God gives us a certain wisdom and power that is so different from worldly wisdom and power, conventional wisdom and power, that anybody who is disinterested in the Christian faith or completely outside of it will have no real way of understanding or appreciating that wisdom and power that God has planted within us. I want you to take a listen to the second chapter of 1 Corinthians to catch this wisdom and power of God that Paul says is planted within us and is so, so different from worldly wisdom. Beginning at the first verse, the second chapter. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come preaching the mystery of God to you in lofty words or fancy wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom, mysterious and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Hear now a word about this divine wisdom and power that can be in you. Big news in football this week, National Football League. Tom Brady retired again. <laughs> Not surprising particularly because um, he's pretty banged up after 23 years in the NFL at age 45. And he didn't have the most glorious year anyway. Um, but good for him. He's on to, we assume, bigger and better things. Uh, if you're not familiar with what's ahead in his next chapter of life, he has signed a contract with Fox Sports for $375 million to become a broadcaster, uh, doing some play-by-play -play for the NFL. Now, that's a lot of money for someone who's untested in the broadcast booth. And I say that because there's a lot of really fine players and coaches who have flopped, either because they talk too much, or they talk about themselves too much, or they just don't know the English language that well, or some other such thing happens, and their history after, like, one broadcast. I thought of showing a couple of funny videos on the big screen of some broadcasting ineptitude, but why, indeed, shame someone with their foibles? That's not 
too purposeful. We will see if Tom Brady has the goods, if he can do what the likes of Tony Romo and Chris Collinsworth and some of the other guys who are pretty good at it can do. We'll see if his words flow as easily as his quarterbacking in the NFL. Anybody who speaks publicly cares about or ought to care about how they sound, how they come across, whether they fumble with words or whether they kind of glide with words. I say this in light of the Apostle Paul, who opens our reading today with a word about his preaching style. His preaching to this congregation in ancient Greece in the hills nestled outside of Athens, Greece, and this is what he writes. Last time I was with you, brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or fancy wisdom when I preached. I decided that rhetorical flourish wouldn't cut it, that vaulted knowledge, it would miss the point, that oratorical elegance and charisma, they're just not who I am. Well, indeed, that isn't who Paul was. If you read the second letter of Corinthians, some of his critics referred to him as pretty unimpressive, as a speaker and as a person. An early church historian uh, wrote about what Paul actually looked like as a man. He was short, this historian writes. He was small of stature. He had a bald head and crooked legs. His two eyebrows met in the center, or as one later commentator put it, like a dead caterpillar laying across his forehead. His nose was hooked. He had this big bridge to his nose. If you look at all the artistic depictions of Paul over the centuries, you kind of see this depiction of Paul, this bow-legged bald guy who's not terribly handsome. And you would, have think, you would think that he would want to use every gift of, of language and charisma that he possibly could when he was preaching. But he writes, No, I did not resort to lofty words or fancy wisdom or oratorical sensation or vaulted knowledge when I preached to you. I set all of these things aside because I want to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if the truth be told, says Paul, I came to you in weakness, and I came to you with all kinds of fear. I came to you trembling when I spoke to you. He was bright. We know that. He might have even been very bright. We have no reason to assume otherwise, given the evidence. But then, as now, you know, there sometimes is this confusion we make between being smart and having wisdom. There's a cute story from a number of years ago of this high school senior in Fremont, California, 17-year-old woman, and she aced the scholastic aptitude test. She got perfect 800s on both sections, and she got a perfect score of 8,000 on the University of Cal uh, California's acceptance index. Nobody had ever done this before. Around the high school, all the kids called her Wonder Woman. Well, when a reporter was interviewing her about her achievements, 
and her brains, uh, he threw in the question at one point, uh, do you know what the meaning of life is? Can you say so? She said, I have absolutely no idea. She was being honest, for sure, which I chuckle at, because to me it's just a reminder of how easily we can confuse, you know, smarts and wisdom. I like to think of maybe being smart has to do with mastering some of the things in our surroundings or in our world that's around us. And maybe wisdom has to do with trying to master some of what is within us. Either way, uh, Paul, the apostle, surely understood human wisdom. He definitely understood what it meant to be wise. But he says to these Corinthian Christians, I set all of that aside. I did not want to load up my preaching to you or my conversations with you with this persuasive word of wisdom kind of talk. No, I wanted to know nothing among you and convey nothing to you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Well, it's because I want you to rest your faith not on this wisdom of the world, this human stuff, but on the wisdom and the power of God. You know, it's always my hope that the preaching of this particular church and the teaching of this church will not glory in human wisdom so much as resting itself on the power of God. I could tell you numerous cute stories about 17-year-old high school seniors who are smart as a whip but don't have any idea about the meaning of life. I could tell you about the Yale professor Robert Sternberg who wrote a really fascinating book a few years ago, Why Smart People Can Be So Stupid, which really isn't about stupidity, but it's about the foolishness that's in all of us and maybe especially among the super-intelligent. But what preaching needs to be in this house and teaching here, it needs to finally rest upon not human wisdom, not cute little stories, not whatever brilliant idea I or anybody else thinks they might have, but rather on the transforming power of God who is constantly in the business of restoring us back to life. This one who has the power to reach down into the dead and the dried out places in our lives and in our relationships and in those unwanted days where things are not working in our favor and be able to bring us brand new life. Paul says something else really interesting in this little passage. If you go home, read it. If it doesn't make sense, pick up another translation or Google another translation. He says this, Among those who are mature in faith, we actually do speak wisdom. But it isn't like conventional wisdom or worldly wisdom. It is the hidden and mysterious wisdom of God. What Paul is saying is that once you are inside the faith and consider yourselves in the pew this very morning just that, you know the basics of faith, you're trying to cultivate this life in Christ. Paul says once you're in that spot, there's a certain maturity about you that other people outside the faith don't quite know in the same way. When you're inside, as 
in growing maturity in this Christian life, you're able to perceive some of the hidden wisdom of God that other people cannot. Skeptics to the faith, outsiders to the faith, those who are disinterested in Christianity, those who think of faith mostly in political terms. And there's a lot of people who do this. Mysterian. That's the word that, that Paul relies on in Greek. Mysterian. It's the word for that hidden wisdom of God that can be inside of any of us. Any of us who are more interested in falling in love with God than with proving ourselves to the world. Let me try to explain what I think Paul means here when he talks about we have a certain maturity that just is worth cultivating where we have access to some of this hidden wisdom of God. If I were in a really fancy commercial kitchen and there was a group of, of professional executive chefs cooking up this elegant meal in a fine restaurant, they would be doing hundreds of things that I have no clue about. I can do basic cooking, but I don't have any, any feel for some of the words they probably use, some of the tricks of the trade, I'm a complete outsider. They've cultivated their know-how, though, and they have the gift. So if they're Asian cooking and you have to add an ingredient or two just before the oil burns, you know, they know exactly the moment. And I don't have the least clue when that oil might be just about to burn and when you add which ingredient first. Or if you've ever been in a hospital surgical unit, you'll, you'll notice that some of these nurses, they're just so seasoned they practice these, these gifts of know-how that they didn't learn in nursing school. These kind of tricks of the trade where they can multitask and attend to you so, so, so cheerfully. And other nurses are looking in upon them and say, where'd they get this know-how? Where'd this hidden wisdom come from? Well, you know, that's kind of what Paul is talking about when he refers to Christians, mature Christians, knowing something of the hidden wisdom of God. For all of us, all of us are somehow inside the Christian life in some way. We have some acquaintance with trying to make of our lives gifts to the world through Jesus Christ. There is this mysterious or hidden wisdom of God that can be in us, that we can have, that we can know. And the greatest wisdom of God that is totally mysterious through so much of the world is Jesus Christ crucified. To the world, the cross that stands before us in a sanctuary like this is nothing but a grotesque symbol, a contemptible sign of horror. Yeah, maybe it was the preferred you know, method for state execution in the day, but it makes absolutely no sense. It is, in fact, they would say, nonsense. But to those of us who believe, the cross is the supreme symbol of God's sublime love. It's the power of God. It is that which notifies us that Jesus refused to defeat violence with violence, which our world doesn't know very much about. But we who are on the inside, who know something of this hidden wisdom of God, we know that's true, that Jesus was committed to love regardless of the hatred that was inflicted upon him. 
Some of the ways of Jesus Christ, they make no sense to the world. No sense to people outside of the Christian faith. To them, the cross is total nonsense. Absurdity. But to those of us who keep on trying to rely on the power of God, and not just our own smarts, and our own wisdom, and our own charm, that cross is our reminder that God is stronger than death. And that there are, in fact, yes, there are indeed worse things than death. That cross is our reminder that, yeah, we're supposed to be doing some astonishing things for the world every single day by way of generosity and love. We've signed on to being spokespersons for this crazy life that is not organized around the wisdom of the world, that cares mostly about achievements and fame and success numbers, and prize money, and, and, and other such things. No, we get to have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul says in the letter to the Philippians. You can have the mind of Christ. We get to live with the humility of God. And Paul knows about this stuff from firsthand experience. We get to give our lives away because we recognize how much we have received. It's really pretty phenomenal. Which is why Paul writes, I did not come to you preaching the testimony of God in lofty words or fancy wisdom. I decided to set everything else aside that I know so that you may know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I come to you in this way, says Paul, with some fear, with some trembling, with a whole lot of weakness in my body and soul so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but rather on the power of God. Amen.
invite you to pray with me as together we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Who knows what your coming week will entail? I suppose none of us really knows what's involved in days that haven't yet happened. But enter these days with a certain confidence that you can have some of the wisdom and power of God in you. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.